thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, continuing on the trend towards the beginning of fantasy football 2019. If you've missed any of the shows so far, first of all, give your head a shake, pal, or gal, either one. But if you hit the description of this video or the comment section, you can find the links to all of the fantasy football shows covered so far during the preseason. We got all the positional ranks, the top 200, sleepers, bust. We're already on top of this stuff, and then we'll re-up, so it gives me double the amount of content. It's perfect. But if you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, a few ways to do so. One, smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. And now, uh, because Melvin Gordon's demanded a trade, you tell me who you think your number five overall running back is is for the 2019 fantasy football season for PPR purposes. So you put it in there, boom, you're in a draw 20 DK bucks. Other way to do so, subscribe, rate, and review to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, five stars, DraftKings handle, something nice about the show, boom, you're in that draw too. The other way to do it, follow me on Instagram at the PME, see one of the football photos that are up there, give it a quick heart, and just leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, boom. Those are the three ways to get into the draw for 20 DK bucks. Joining me on the show today, it's very exciting times from funky North Philly. He is of Pro Football Focus. He's on the TVs. He's on your radios. It is DJ Jazzy Jeff Radcliffe. What's going on, man? (laughs) Quite an introduction. Uh, It is exciting times indeed. What I love about this time of year, Pat, is... It's it's not fall like, you know, us, uh, you know, up north a little bit get to experience all the seasons. It's not quite fall. You don't have that that smell in the air. But football is in the air right now. We're not that far away. I mean, we're a camp is opening up across the league by the 27th. Every team will be in camp. And fantasy drafts are right around the corner. It's a great time. And we do have the luxury right now that, I mean, I guess the two things, I will get to one here in a second, but we don't know about the Tyree Kill situation. Now we have Melvin Gordon, but like no one's hurt yet. It's not the beginning of August where it's like, all right, I've done a few drafts. And oh, I mean, I was going to say Jordy Nelson's out with a knee injury. I feel like that was like 10 years ago now. But someone that you draft in like the first two rounds is just all of a sudden going to be out for the year. That really puts a damper on it right now. Like really getting back into it and everything is super exciting. Like you must feel this too. By like week 13, it's kind of like, all right, when's the season going to (laughs) end? I, I do get that the burnout is very real. Like the, the, the beauty, but the curse of the NFL is, is there's no downtime. I mean, we're processing things on Tuesdays. We're figuring out what the F everything meant. And then it's Thursday already. Like, and then we're back into the, into the grind for the weekend. So yeah, by week 13, but the beauty is like, once we get to the playoffs, I, I love NFL playoffs. There's no doubt about it, but I also love the NFL draft. And so like January really starts that whole process. So Hey, it's it's there's no offseason. I know it's cliche, but that's a good thing in the NFL, even though there are those lulls at times and the times where we're like, man, why do I do this to myself? It's still it's just a great, great, great thing. All right, let's talk about Mr. Melvin Gordon. You put out a tweet about Melvin Gordon, what, like a week ago, two weeks ago, and all of a sudden Melvin Gordon responded to it. So tell the people about this. Yeah, so I was doing some research, just sort of polishing up, uh, you know, June and July is when we really polish up everything that we've done looking back in order to look forward for fantasy purposes. So I was looking at goal line uh, work, you know, for me, uh, three metrics when it comes to touchdown production that you can use to your advantage are goal line carries, so carries essentially inside the opponent's five yard line 
end zone targets and end zone throws. So depending on whether you're looking at running, receiving, or passing. So Melvin Gordon last year was a double-digit touchdown guy, which is obviously not easy to do. You know, remember, real football is not video games, so it's really tough to do that. So he goes out, puts up double-digit touchdowns, and ordinarily when a guy produces like that, he is going to, um, you know, he's going to have a lot of work in the goal line region. Last year, out of the six running backs to top 10 rushing touchdowns, he was the only one to not see at least 10 goal line carries, and he only saw five. So that tied for 38th in the league. That is really low. And if the number like that continues, that would suggest that his touchdown production is not sustainable. It's going to regress. It's going to move downward. Now, of course, I say it in a very nice way. I say, which could suggest TJ TD regression. And everybody freaked out and basically said that I, I basically assumed that I meant Melvin Gordon stinks, including Melvin Gordon, because he <laughs> tweeted back, eh, we'll see about, or eh, I'll dis- I disagree. That's what he said, not we'll see about that. So he disagrees. And lo and behold, just a couple days later, the news comes out that he could potentially hold out. So it's going to be really hard to top double-digit touchdowns if he, in fact, holds out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, unless we start counting when he's playing football and on his like PlayStation or Xbox, then all of a sudden he could have like 45 <laughs> touchdowns. It'd be great for his fantasy purposes in his one person, one man video game fantasy league. He'd be excellent. I initially had him at number five uh, in my running back rankings. This is why I'm doing the giveaway uh, to see who the new number five is going to be. And now I'm having a problems replacing him at number five because I'm really torn on some of these second tier running backs. But if we don't know, and, I mean, this is the situation we got ourselves into with Le'Veon Bell last year. Like, if the holdout continues and he's not traded into, like, the second week of the preseason and we're doing fantasy drafts all of a sudden, like, what does that do to Melvin Gordon's stock? Like, where can you feasibly take him? Yeah, that is the challenge. And and the thing about Le'Veon Bell, like, that was the unthinkable. This time last year, it's like, no way. If the guy wants this money, he's not going to hold out the whole season. Well, yeah, he held out the whole freaking season. So now that the precedent has been set and I don't think we're going to go through the next decade of football and not see this happen again. Unfortunately, I do think it will have, I don't think, you know, necessarily Gordon's going to be that example this year, but it is within the realm of possibility. So I agree with you, you know, moving him out of that top of the second tier, which would have put him as like a mid first round pick in a 12 team league. I moved into the very back of that tier. So it's, it's a, you know, 11 running backs off the board. So he essentially moves to number 11 for me. And that's just an initial reaction on this one without any other information. So that means you're taking him in the second round very likely, but you have to have a backup plan in place if you have no other information. So last year, if you drafted Bell and you didn't draft Connor. Well, you know how that worked out. Not well at all. Whoever drafted Connor got him at a great deal. Now, this year, Austin Eckler was already going – well, he was going ahead of where Connor would have went last year, but you're still getting him at a decent enough value. And I think you have to view Austin Eckler now as the premium handcuff. He's not James Connor in that he's going to step in and get 100% of the starters work. Cause we have this from last year. We know what Austin Eckler got when Melvin Gordon missed that time during the fantasy playoffs last year. And what we ultimately saw is he's the primary pass catching back. Go figure. That's where they like him, obviously, but also he was getting about 65% of the carries to 35% for Justin Jackson. So while he's not going to be a true bell cow, Austin Eckler could put, you know, top 15 fantasy numbers up on the board easily with that sort of volume in that offense. If he in fact gets the opportunity. And then we also have to consider Justin Jackson now in week 15 last year was a feature back because there was nobody else there. Eckler was also hurt. So if Eckler got hurt, 
which he's shown he can do, then all of a sudden Justin Jackson becomes a very interesting player. So I think you now look at Jackson, where I wouldn't have said a late-round dart on him a week ago or a week and a half ago. I now am saying that. So if we let's, – let's just say that – we see that Melvin Gordon follows the Le'Veon Bell path. And he's like, you know what? Although this didn't work out for Le'Veon Bell, you know who it's going to work out for? Me. I guess it did work out for Le'Veon Bell. He got a bunch of money, but he did turn down a bunch. And he was on a franchise tag. And I guess that's a bit different. If Melvin Gordon's still playing under his rookie contract. Um, he loses the year, though. Like, if he doesn't play, like, in terms of free agency, doesn't he? That I, I, you know what? The free agency is a bit of a mystery to me. I think he does, but I don't want to go on record, say 100% here. Uh, but, you know, it, it would sort of be un, an unprecedented thing. And, you know, you bring up that that's really key, too, because Le'Veon Bell had a lot more money on the table last year that he was missing out on. Not to say that five plus million dollars is, is anything to bat an eyelash at for Melvin Gordon, but, but five plus million dollars compared to whatever 16 million or whatever Le'Veon Bell was slated to make last year. Uh, big difference. Still, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. And this could be one of those, you know, the the last, the big example last year that a lot of people pointed to was Emmett Smith. And Emmett Smith held out a couple games into the season. We could also see that. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's a risk reward with Melvin Gordon. Getting him in the second round, you have that potential reward of this guy is a top five, top six guy who you're getting at a discount. You just have to make sure you you back him up with Eckler, you know, and, and it's weird now, too, because there, two weeks ago, I would have said Todd Gurley, you know, out of that top group of running backs, the top 12 running backs has the most question marks. And now it's like, does he or or is it Gordon who has the most question marks? It's, it's risky with both of those guys, but obviously the reward with both of those guys is potentially there as well. So if we know, and maybe this is just the Twitter and the internet speaking, that running backs may or may not matter, at least in terms of paying them a lot of money, probably not the best idea for your salary cap. So I'm guessing that like half the teams don't have a pro football focus account, that they're not being like, oh, okay, Um, we can probably just draft two undrafted guys to come in and fill this role if the offense is still chugging along. Like, what does Melvin Gordon think the market is for his skills and how much is he expecting to get paid? Like, obviously his agent is telling him to do this. Like, that seems really bizarre in today's NFL. You know, maybe the Seahawks are like Pete Carroll's looking at being like, you know what? We could use another running back because we want to run the ball 98 times a game. Like, (laughs) where does he think this market is coming from? This is the challenge, though, because, you know, from the standpoint, like we we have to put ourselves in Gordon's shoes as well. I mean, he's at the end of his rookie contract. Running backs tend to not get paid. Bell, that was a little bit unprecedented. I don't know if a lot of people expected him to get that much as, as much as he got from the Jets. But there are factors. So, I mean, I can't knock the guy for trying to get paid. But there are factors working against him. Like, we see average age of decline at running back is typically either age 26 or 27 when that kicks in. We also, uh, my buddy Scott Barrett, from also from Pro Football Focus, did some research last year. He showed running back decline sets in in year five. Well, Melvin Gordon's 26 years old and heading into year five. So those are like two checks that are big time checks against him. And anybody who throws out the Todd Gurley extension, Todd Gurley was 24 when that extension kicked in. So he had age on his side, at least. It's a weird situation. And you almost, you know, when you look at it from the the Chargers standpoint, you, you, you can't see very many scenarios where they actually back down and pay him. It's, 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 it's a lot of moving parts right now, 
And it is really, you know, like I said, it is really risky for fantasy purposes. Yeah, and this is a team that historically does not shell out the bucks uh, to pay in these sort of situations. A notoriously cheap franchise. And really, realistically, until they get their new stadium, what do they care? I know they're going to try to make a run at the Super Bowl. They're a very good team. But if they've assessed it, that they're like, you know what, we can have, when we took Melvin Gordon out last year and replaced it with the tandem of Jackson and Eckler, we were basically the exact same offense, that I, I can just see like, you know what, you want to sit out, Melvin? Go for it. No problem with us. Or maybe they'll trade him and try to get a pick if someone wants to bite on that. So if we're in a situation, let's say Melvin Gordon gets traded and they don't get a running back in return in that deal and we're left with Eckler and we're left with Jackson, what do you suppose that does to where we need to draft them for fantasy purposes? Because in my mind, if it's just the two of them and there's no hint that, you know, if Melvin Gordon is just gone, I would think that Jackson might be the more valuable fantasy back. I don't know, though, because like I said, we did get those weeks last year where we did see what this team will do. Like week seven, um, Gordon missed that that game. And, and really, Jackson hadn't been used almost exclusively as a special teamer before that point. So he only played 16 snaps. But really, as the team grew in confidence with Jackson, that's where we see in like week 13 and 14 when Gordon was out. So Austin Eckler had 49 snaps in week 13, 26 for Jackson. 40 snaps in week 14, 33 for Jackson. But where uh, we did see Jackson sort of eating in on the early downs, Eckler was pretty much the exclusive passing down back in each of those two games. So that's where it gets a little tricky. I mean, PPR, you, you like the guy who's going to see the most targets uh, if it's a close situation in terms of carries. And Eckler was still 65-35 in terms of carries. So I, I still think Eckler is going to be the more valuable. But like I said, you know, he's a little bit undersized. He showed last year that when he gets that extra work, I mean, I don't think it was a huge coincidence that he was banged up for week 15 that he could get hurt. So whereas we may not be viewing Jackson, I, I wouldn't view him as, as more valuable than Eckler. I would view Jackson as one of those premium handcuffs. Like, you know, this year Latavius Murray is going to have value independent of Alvin Kamara. But if Alvin Kamara gets hurt, Lat Murray is, I mean, he's an RB1 in that offense with the limited competition for touches. So I think you have to view Jackson kind of in that tier, which will put him inside the top 10 rounds. It'll put him probably around round eight uh, coming off the board. That is, of course, if Gordon is out of the mix. So if we now talk about tier two running backs, I've actually dropped Melvin Gordon down to tier three. My tiers are a bit beaten up. So I think, is it basically a consensus across the industry, which is never a good thing, by the way, uh, the top four guys that it's some sort of different combinations of Elliott, Barkley, Kamara, and McCaffrey. Like those are the top four, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The big four this year. It is weird when we have that consensus, but uh, I think that's spot on. And, you know, it's interesting, just a quick offshoot of this, Pat. So I've noticed in home leagues, and a lot of people may have noticed this in your home leagues as well. So when you're drafting, you may have those guys who historically have done no prep. They basically go, they hit, you know, fantasy football rankings in Google. They print out the first set of rankings that they, they can find, and they show up at the draft. 15 years ago, those guys were the worst drafters ever, but every so often in today's era of fantasy football, they'll show up and they'll be like lights out for the first three or four rounds. You're like, what the heck is going on? Did this dude finally wise up and start doing prep? No, it's, it's because there is a lot of consensus in the top 50 or so of, of rankings in the industry. There, there's not that many 
wild swings in that area. So when they're going through the first, you know, four or five rounds, and sure, they're going to look lights out, but those people always fall apart as we get into the middle and late rounds. Uh, if you end up with one of these top four picks and you take one of these top four running backs, what are these, if we're playing like a 12-team league, what does the back end of your second and third round look like? And what do you think you should be targeting there? Because there's one name, we're going to get to a few of these running back names, but Nick Chubb's average ADP is like 22, and that's after Damian Williams. That's a few spots before Aaron Jones and Leonard Fournette and guys like that. It seems to me, and maybe I'm reading this completely wrong, maybe people are just terrified of Kareem Hunt coming back in week 10 and taking the job again, but... It seems like Nick Chubb is like a lock for that spot, doesn't he? Well, I like where he's going in that range. I mean, he's he's got that, you know, workhorse potential. Uh, and I do think, despite the narrative, that Chubb is a little bit better of a pass catcher than, than what a lot of people believe. But I think that is the challenge, though, is what what is Kareem Hunt when he comes back in Week 10? Is he a guy who goes out, and I don't think he takes the job because Nick Chubb's a better between-the-tackles runner, but Kareem Hunt's a better pass catcher. So does he go out and take that work off of Chubb's plate? Is Chubb Does Chubb go from an 18- to 20-touch-per-game guy to a you know 15-touch-per-game guy, which down the stretch could be a little significant. So that's why I have him just outside. He's the top of my Tier 3 right now. I, I think that's fine if you're looking at him, although – the beauty to so many running backs going in the early rounds right now is that in the late second, you have your, you have the opportunity to land a pretty darn good wide receiver. You know, in the era of zero RB a few years ago, that wasn't going to happen. But today, I mean, you're seeing guys like Mike Evans potentially fall into that range who – you know, is coming off a 1,500-yard season and with a little bit of positive regression in touchdown production, you know, could be a monster. Antonio Brown with some question marks, and I've seen him fall a little bit. He's, he's kind of had some swings in the second round in a lot of drafts that I'm in. But you could get your hands on these guys in the late, round, late second round and on top of that have one of those top four running backs. It's a good situation. And then I actually don't mind waiting a little bit in that, in that third tier of running backs. So instead of going at the top end of that tier, you know, taking somebody like Nick Chubb, then, you, you know, you could, you could <laughs> take a shot at Leonard Fournette in the third round. I know a lot of people are not crazy about that idea, but Fournette's the type of guy, like if he could just stay healthy and focus, he's going to see volume. There's no competition there. Alfred Blue is there. All right. We know what Alfred Blue is. Ryquel Armstead, shout out to Temple University, but He's a rookie who's certainly going to be unproven in his rookie year. There's very minimal competition for touches, and I think there's going to be more stability in that offense this year with Nick Foles under center. He's not, you know, it's not like a huge upgrade over Blake Bortles, but it is an upgrade nonetheless, which will help the entire offense. Yeah, looking at it right now, like in terms of ADP, like, Let's see, where are they all going here? Fournette, number 28 overall. That's, you know, Aaron Jones is at number 25. Then you have, like, Marlon Mack, Devontae Freeman, on Johnson at 35, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery. For me, like, I think I'd rather roll the dice on someone like Marlon Mack over Leonard Fournette because he kind of hit on it. It's not necessarily the injuries that worry me with Leonard Fournette. It's the injuries plus the lack of focus that this guy could fight Nick Foles on the sidelines and get suspended for two <laughs> games by his own team without even being suspended 
suspended by the league. Like, that part of it worries it with me. And I just look at Mac that there seems to be enough confusion that if we just knew that he was the every down back in Indianapolis and that Naheem Hines wouldn't be coming in and be basically being Austin Eckler and playing like 35, 40% of the snaps or way more if they ever get down trailing in some of these games, that Mac would be going substantially higher than he is. Now, we know that there is downside with him, but I don't really know what his upside is. Like, could it be unlimited? I don't know if it's unlimited, but we saw the upside last year. I mean, he had three top 10 fantasy finishes, third in week seven, third in week eight, uh, six in week 15, and then, of course, one in week 17. So whatever you toss that, but still it shows the upside. The problem isn't just Naeem Hines, though. It's Paris Campbell. Like, he's not a running back, but if you look at his average depth of target at Ohio State, he's basically being targeted at the line of scrimmage. Like, it was like a historically low average depth of target. So he's going to get a lot of those short and intermediate targets in this offense as well. Marlon Mack just simply didn't do a lot in that area. Played 12 games, had 17 catches last year. The year before that, 14 games, 21 catches. So he's just not going to contribute there. I think we kind of we, – we can at least be clear on that. But in the same right, if he plays a full 16-game slate, could he see 250 carries? Absolutely. And if he sees that sort of work in this potent offense, he has major touchdown upside. I mean, this guys he scored nine touchdowns last year on the ground. So he has some big-time, you know, double-digit potential. I don't mind it. I really don't. I have Fournette just a tick ahead of him, but it's a razor-thin margin when you get into that tier of guys for me. So Mac is certainly in the mix. I, I like that Colts offense a lot this year. Well, there's one thing, too, that could really dive into this. And I made a huge error last year with Ezekiel Elliott being like, he can't be one of my top four running backs. He doesn't catch enough balls. And then all of a sudden, he's on the field, and he's getting like seven targets a game, and he's just getting dump off after dump off after dump off. And all of a sudden, Zeke. Now, if you give him some positive touchdown regression from this season uh, for this year and expect the receptions to stay at the same place, he's number one running back uh, if he can get to like 14 touchdowns. So there's... That can happen, but where they had a new regime in Indianapolis last year, very last second, and Mac was banged up for a lot of the preseason and into the first part of the year, that maybe he just didn't get integrated into that passing offense. Maybe they saw that Hines was an excellent pass catcher, and there were certain things they wanted to do with him, and they thought, you know, we're making a playoff run. We don't want to change this midstream. It's too hard to take off a guy that has been really good at this role, but maybe Mac can absorb some of that this year. Is that at least in the cards? It's a possibility. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense what they did with Hines, just given his sheer speed. One of the fastest times, uh, you know, in the combine that he he participated in in the 40 yard dash. So super fast guy. You get him in space and let him do his thing. Whereas Mac, you know, has a little bit more size, can give you more between the tackles. I wouldn't rule it out, you know, that he would have a, a large role in the passing game, but I'm also not going to count on it per se either. I would look at it, that as, as more of a bonus than anything. Also, by the way, Ezekiel Elliott, the team did draft Tony Pollard. And Tony Pollard, basically, almost all he did at college level was catch passes. So I don't know what that says. Sometimes these teams will tell us a story with their draft picks. Other times we may read too much into the draft picks, but at least it is something that people should note right there. So the other one on this list is Josh Jacobs, who I think people are a bit pensive because he's a rookie, plays for the Raiders. Uh, I've had a few guests on. And if I had to ask you which receiver leads the league in targets this year, who would be like the three names that would come up to the top of that list? Would it be Hopkins, probably Antonio Brown, and someone else, Julio maybe? 
Yeah, Julio would have to be up there. Um, you, you have to like Devontae Adams as well, potentially, yeah. when he's coming off a season where, he, you know, by pro football focus numbers, we had him 162 targets. Now, we scrub out throwaways, a couple other things like that, so our numbers aren't as high as you might see elsewhere. But regardless, you hear Aaron Rodgers saying, yeah, I want to throw him the ball more. <laughs> so, all right, I'm in for that. Sign me up. But uh, he's got to be up there. Yeah, Julio. Michael Thomas, maybe, though they don't throw as much as they used to. Yeah, A.B., even in that Oakland offense, that's why I'm not really overly concerned about the switch to Derek Carr is the volume is still going to be there, and they're going to find ways to get him the rock. So, yeah, he's right up there, you know, right in that top three conversation. So if that's the case, and we know that the volume is going to be there for Antonio Brad, and we see this discount potentially on him where you talked about he's going at the sometimes at the end of the second round of that Mike Evans range along with T.Y. Hilton and Keenan Allen and that type of player, not up with Juju and that – Michael Thomas and Odell Beckham, like that tier of receiver, he seems to be on the very bottom end of that tier, or even the, the highest tier, at least the way that people are drafting. So going to Oakland has hurt his stock, at least in the minds of people, despite the volume potentially going even up, even if the efficiency goes down a little bit. In terms of Jacobs, if we had inserted him, if we inserted any running back into an offense where he said, you know what, this is a potential three-down situation, at least it's a two-down situation with all the goal line work, and if he gets stuck on the field for all three downs and he starts catching a lot of these dump-offs, you know, he could end up being like a top 10, potentially top five in terms of volume-type running back, but where he plays for the Raiders, he's getting pushed down the list, pick like number 38. Is he someone that we should be taking like... 10 picks earlier at the beginning of the third round, back end of the second round, if you're looking for a potential bell cow running back? I don't know, even know if you have to, though. That's the beauty to it. You know, you have to use perception to your advantage in drafts. So, if you know, I always like to sort of split the difference. So, if you think that's maybe where he should go, then split the difference between that and where he ultimately is going, and, and you have, a, you know, a better value so that you're not reaching too much. But I, I do agree. And, and you know, Pat, there, part of it is this, fear of of rookies that we've seen like last year there were literally people like Saquon settled out at one seven you know seventh overall pick there were people arguing of how crazy that was and I quote because he's never played football before which is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my life and I've heard a lot of dumb things he played football at Penn State and he was really freaking good the year before that people said the same thing about Ezekiel Elliott when his ADP settled out at what was it like, uh, you know, whatever, one five, one six, where he was coming off the board in his rookie season, uh, or so two years before that, not the year before it. But, you know, every every time we have these these running backs who are premium type guys, there or, or even fringe premium type guys, there's that pushback if they're a rookie. So it worked out well with Zeke in his rookie year. It worked out well with Saquon in his rookie year. And Josh Jacobs isn't those guys. He isn't that caliber. But in the same right, we're talking about him. You know, if you're saying taking him in that range of the draft, I mean, he's knocking on the door of RB1 territory. So we're talking about him in that range. And then there's that pushback that, you know, people are like, no, no, rookie can't touch him, unproven commodity. I think you're going to get him in a nice value. And in fact, I've been targeting him a lot. If I can get him, although I have seen him creep up just a little bit in industry drafts where people aren't as fearful, but also David Montgomery as well. That's the other, you know, rookie unproven commodity in a potentially really good situation. And I think you get Montgomery at just a, a slightly better value. 
it, as of right now, the way that it averages out, Jacobs is going at pick number 38. Montgomery is going at pick number 41. And if we're going to be fearful of rookies, I see the situation and the path to being a very good fantasy player for David Montgomery. But it just seems to me like if they're going to be going in relatively the same range, that Jacobs... Well, there's a chance that he's not better than Montgomery. Montgomery could be fantastic. But the safety that comes along with Jacobs and the role that he should have in this Oakland offense seems far more safe to me. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with that. I mean, there's almost no competition for touches. Doug Martin is not going to compete for touches in uh, the run game. And then even Jalen Richard, I, I, I mean, I'm not crazy about he's a just a guy type he's a just a guy type whereas josh jacobs what he really brings to the table is his ability as a receiver that was what he flashed more so at alabama than even his ability as a runner so i agree with you there montgomery obviously has Tariq cohen on that roster so Tariq cohen is going to command uh the lion's share of the targets out of the backfield but i do think we're going to see more targets going to montgomery than we saw to jordan howard last year just because he is better in that area of the of the game well, we saw with David last year with Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen that, I mean, you probably have a better, I, th I think I read this and you know, just from pure observation, doing the snap counts every week and trying to analyze it, that you know between the two, they were up around like 108% of the snap. So they were playing a lot of two running back sets to begin with. And I would assume that they either, now that they've gone out and traded Howard and got Montgomery and you have someone who can catch passes a little bit better, that they might do that even more now that they have two viable options to throw to on the field. Yeah, and it really makes sense just in that offense in general. I mean, historically, Andy Reid has always used that type of offense too, uh, with the run game as an ex or a pass, pass game as an extension of the run game. So, you know, those short passes are pretty much handoffs, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, to sort of dumb it down a little bit. And so, you know, Matt Nagy, I expect him to use a lot of those concepts. And you, and you like, now granted, coach speaking the offseason, whatever, but you like to hear a coach talking up guys, and he was talking up David Montgomery as a pass catcher. So if we take the guys that are going ahead of Jacobs right now, and who would you rather, this guy or this guy? Just regardless of ADP, just would you rather have this guy on your fantasy team or this running back on your fantasy team? Would you rather have Damian Williams or would you rather have Josh Jacobs? Ooh, Damian Williams, although I know I am lower on Damian Williams than uh, other folks. And the reason for it is pretty simple. I, I, I like to look at things in terms of range of outcome. I don't want to just expect one outcome because what happens when it, it doesn't happen is uh, you're, you're usually upset about it. So I want to expect a range of outcomes. And there is, at the high end of his range, the possibility that Damian Williams is the biggest breakout running back this year. He finishes a top five guy, double digit touchdowns, blah, 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 blah. There also is within that range of, of outcomes, the possibility that there's a full blown committee in this backfield. Carlos Hyde gets touches. Maybe the young guys, Darwin Thompson, James Williams get touches in the backfield and Damian Williams ends up being a bit of a disappointment. I think the most likely though is somewhere in the middle. So I have him as a front end RB two. I don't have him as an RB one, like some, but I would prefer him uh, to Josh Jacobs for sure. Yeah, I have him at number 13 in my running back rankings right now. So yeah. I'm with you. I have him at the very high end of running back too, right around where I have Josh Jacobs, where I actually have one spot below him. So would you rather have Aaron Jones or Josh Jacobs? Uh, right now, I actually do have, I, I guess I'm a little bit conservative on Josh Jacobs as well, but uh, I do have Aaron Jones ahead 
for I, me, it's still I, that, I, that. I would I would take Jacobs in this spot. I would just yeah. I would gamble on the unknown and the potential three down work from. I know it's a new regime in Green Bay, and maybe Aaron Jones is just going to be the guy there. But I think we have enough history with Aaron Rodgers to say that maybe it's not. Maybe it's a Mike McCarthy thing. Maybe it's an Aaron Rodgers thing. I'll say it's maybe a mix of both. That they just don't like to give the ball to the running back that much. <laughs> And when they yeah, did, I mean, they, when they did, they were bad last year. Yeah, um, I, but I just think that that part is the Mike McCarthy thing. That offense got really vanilla by the end, you know. And and it, it maybe just something about that offense because the same exact offense with Ben McAdoo in in New York got really vanilla like very quickly as well. So I, I'm not entirely sure there. And, and let's be clear, it's close between these guys. There's no doubt about it. But it's that alluring appeal of the upside that we have seen out of Aaron Jones. If we can just, you know, if you could give me like four to six more touches a game of Aaron Jones, uh, I'm 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 in on that one. So it's close, but I do prefer Jones just slightly. Uh, Fournette or Jacobs? Uh, Fournette for, uh, for me, yeah. And and I know last year he. He, uh, you know, wrecked a lot of fantasy teams, but the potential if he stays on the field and, and uh, clearly he's outside of the RB ones for me as well. But if he stays on the field, I mean, you say Zeke is the favorite to lead the league in carries. If you could tell me Leonard Fournette's going to play 16 games, I could I would say I'll take the over on 280 carries for him because they're going to feed him the rock. Do we think that he gets involved in the passing game here? And what are the expectations for the Jags this year? Like, is it inconceivable to think that their defense returns to maybe not the elite level of two years ago, but somewhere closer to that than it was last year? And just having Nick Foles as quarterback could just significantly improve this offense? I think it could. I, like I said, I'm not necessarily all in on Nick Foles, but I think he's a more capable starting quarterback as he should. I mean, the dude uh, over each of the last two years really bailed out the Eagles down the stretch when Carson Wentz got hurt. So more capable. The defense, obviously, you know, they they just keep bringing guys in too. They had another good draft on the defensive side of the ball this year. That helps. And what I like about Fournette, so you mentioned the pass catching, and 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 don't go people don't go on Twitter and say that Ratcliffe loves Fournette. All right, I'm saying I like this aspect of him is TJ Yeldon's not there anymore. TJ Yeldon caught a whole heck of a lot of passes last year, in case you didn't notice. And so who's gonna catch those passes? It's not Alfred Blue. They're not gonna bring in Alfred Blue for passing down situations. I, like I mentioned, Ryquel Armstead, maybe it might see they have some guys further down the depth chart, but Fournette is a guy that I know in the past they wanted to get more involved in the passing game. That may happen this year, but we, we still have the big ifs with him. Can he stay healthy? Can he stay focused on the field? Well, I'm just going to chalk you up to loving Leonard Fournette. I had a guest on like three weeks ago who wanted to legitimately fight Leonard Fournette in a boxing match and then threatened to use MMA during the boxing match. I was just like, Man, I don't think you really want to get into a fight with Leonard Fournette. The guy's like eight times the size of you. And he's an NFL athlete. Probably not the best idea. So you're on record saying Leonard Fournette is the best running back in football, correct? Of all time, right? All time, yes. exactly. Yeah, just give him the gold jacket right now. Uh, I would actually take Jacobs over Fournette going into this wow. season. Maybe I'm really enamored with Fournette or with Jacobs. So the other three guys here are Devonta Freeman, Carrion Johnson, and Derrick Henry. They're also all going ahead of Josh Jacobs right now. And I would take Jacobs over those three as well. I actually do agree with you. Now, I've, I've been all over the place with Derrick Henry. Because, Just don't. You know, we, Just, there's one easy answer to this. Don't draft him. Well, you know, the thing is, though, if the team finally wises up and gives him the carries that he needs to be effective, then that could happen. You know, the, we saw it last year. He was the number one fantasy running back in December. 
But is the team going to give him those carries? That's a question, obviously, we can't answer. The, the Devontae Freeman thing to me, though, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. This kind of blows my mind. There's a lot of people out there who are kind of like, you know, quasi all in on Devontae Freeman, not drafting him as an RB1, but like getting him on, you know, getting tons of shares of him on their teams. And at the same time, telling you about Todd Gurley's injury history. And it's like, dude, Devontae Freeman played two games last year and he's 27 years old. That's risky. And yes, the opportunity is there. Tevin Coleman's gone. It's a high powered offense, but in the same right, we have to realize there's very real risk with Devontae Freeman this year. So the other guys going in that like before 50 picks range, so the first four rounds, you have Philip Lindsay at 43, Ingram at 44, Kenyon Drake at 47, and then Sony Michelle at number 50. In PPR formats, I'd rather just have James White than Sony Michelle. I might be leaving a bit of upside on the table, but I don't feel like I'm going to have that week-to-week inconsistency to the extent that Sony Michelle might have if he's not rushing for touchdowns every week. Maybe that's what the Patriots do. What's your read on the Patriots' backfield? Because usually it's like fantasy death to draft any of these guys. Yet they all turned like if you didn't draft Rex Burkhead like I did last year, and you yeah. just got White or Sony Michelle, it turned out to be okay. But James White, year after year, and this is only PPR scoring, just seems to be pretty safe. And I don't see his role decreasing now uh, with this offense a year later. You know, he was so productive that he was even like a, a borderline RB one in, in non PPR last year. So. I agree. I don't see the role changing. The backfield is is shifting. We're seeing the Patriots become a much more run-heavy offense. They're not Seattle and Baltimore to that degree, but they did down the stretch. And you look at what they did, you know, with Sony Michelle in the playoffs in particular. Like this is the trend for this team. And NFL teams tip their hand a little bit in the draft. And when you draft Damian Harris, you know, as where they did. Now, granted, they also drafted a wide receiver in the first round, but you draft a running back in a somewhat premium spot in today's era of the NFL draft, you're going to run the football. Now, I don't know what that says. Is Does that mean they're going to run the ball more? Or does that mean that Sonny Michelle's knee is more screwed up than we realize? Because he, you know, we'll, we'll find out when camp opens up if he's on the field or not. If he isn't, buyer beware. But, uh, yeah, I, I think we're shifting more towards run heavy, but it also is going to be that classic Belichick, this guy this week, the other guy next week, and good luck figuring out which guy it is for fantasy purposes. So the other guys that I mentioned there, like Philip Lindsay at 43, like are we convinced that he's going to be the guy again in Denver? Or do you just take the chance and draft Royce Freeman like the 12th round? I don't know. I've seen Royce go a lot earlier than that, but uh, you know, if, if he's around, it looks like his current ADP is like late eighth, eighth round. So I don't mind Royce Freeman there. I know that a lot of people though, in home leagues are going to do the old not drafting him again, because he, he got <laughs> pumped up all the way to the third round last year, which uh, talk about your all time backfires, Philip Lindsay, you know, huge surprise. But when you look at the touch distribution between those guys, it wasn't like Lindsay was the bell cow by any means. I mean, Royce Freeman had 130 rushing attempts last year. And it was just really where they were being used. Freeman was used primarily in early down situations. So he's facing a lot of base defense. Lindsay was used in a lot of passing down situations. So when he ran, he was going up against sub package defense more often. That extra defensive back or two on the field gives the running back an advantage. You know, it's it's Todd Gurley, Jeff Fisher, he was running against base defense. Todd Gurley, Sean McVay, he's running almost exclusively against sub-package defense over the last two years, and we saw the difference there. Same player, different situation. But Lindsey, I mean, I, I know some people are a little concerned about the wrist. I wouldn't be. It's a wrist. He's, there's no sign that it's going to be uh, – it's, like, it's not a soft tissue when I say it's a wrist. But there's no sign it's going to be an impact for, for camp here. 
So I don't like this tier. Like when you say these guys and we're talking, so we're talking like late fourth round running backs. I don't want to draft Philip Lindsay in that range. I don't want to draft Mark Ingram because there's limited upside, Sony Michelle volatility and Canyon Drake. No, thank you. So I, I'm going to like avoid if I can, if I'm in that part of a draft, I'm going to avoid the position altogether. And then you look at the wide receivers going in the same range. And here's where you can get guys like Kenny Galladay, Robert Woods, 10th in, in fantasy scoring among wide receivers in PPR last year. He's going in this range. Brandon Cooks might fall there. You even have upside guys like Calvin Ridley, Chris Godwin, even Cooper Cup, like all Rams receivers basically going in this range. I'd so much rather any of those guys than that mess at running back that you just mentioned. Well, do you have any sort of take on the Rams receivers? Like Cooks is going at number 42, Woods is going at number 46, Cup is going at number 52. So if you end up with one of them and you had the ideal situation of having the one that you wanted, I, I would say that most people just say, I'll take whatever one goes last and kind of roll the dice because maybe they're all a bit equal. Or do you really have a preference on this? I, I do actually have a preference, although I have I have grabbed Cooper Cup a bunch recently in drafts because he fell a little bit too far. But if I if they're all going where ADP says they're going, it's so tight. I mean, you're talking within the range of 10 picks of each other. So it's so tight. If that's the case, my preference is Robert Woods. And the reason for it is pretty simple. Woods, his ceiling isn't as high as Cook's, but it is, um, you know, his floor is higher. And then his floor isn't as high as cups, but his ceiling's higher. So you have that like nice combination of right in between coming off of last year as well, where he, you know, has this career year. He's really just a great fit in that offense. Uh, you know, I would take him, but really I want to get a piece of it. Cause I do think that the Rams passing game is just, is going to be just as potent this year as it was last year, at least early on last year it was. So some more of those like backfield confusion things. We talk about this tier where we don't necessarily want to take those running backs that Ingram. I mean, I'm never taking Ingram, but that's me. Uh, Kenyon Drake, those type of guys. Chris Carson is the next running back coming off the board. Is this his job over pennies or is this going to be a split? Or are they just going to say, screw you, Chris Carson? Or do they run the ball 90% of the time and both of them can be viable? I think that's probably the more likely outcome. I mean, this team ran the heck out of the ball last year. Chris Carson, 247 carries last year. He had nine rushing scores. He was used so heavily in the red zone. This team, it kind of blew me away because Carson used heavily in the red zone, yet Russell Wilson also second in the league in end zone throws with his minimal passing attempts. It's just there was, there was touchdowns to be had, and I think we're going to see similar things this year. Carson, for me, is the guy. Now, Penny on paper, I think when you look at a pure talent standpoint, athletically Penny is is the superior player Carson is the better football player right now though there were a lot of times last year where Penny would get in he'd make these spectacular plays and then when you go back and look at it on tape you run it back you're like oh wait he reversed the field entirely and did not run the play that was called <laughs> and yeah you might be able to get away with that at the college level and occasionally at the NFL level but um, eventually that's not going to work and it is a very good way to not endear yourself to a coaching staff so if he can you know, mature a little bit in that regard and start doing the things that he needs to do on the field, then yes, I like him to take a step forward. But the nice thing is that uh, hype of Penny right now, because he has a little bit of buzz, it's not, it hasn't pushed him up that far, but it has pushed Carson down into this range where, hey, Chris Carson in the middle of the fifth round, when you tell me a guy has 200 plus carry potential, 250 carry upside, 
I don't mind that at all. And, and I have found myself taking him. I'd much rather take a stab at him, grab a receiver in that fourth round range, and then take a stab on Carson in the fifth round range. The other one that people don't really have an idea of what to do with, and maybe they're just both bad, so you don't have to worry about it, but Peyton Barber versus Ronald Jones oh. in Tampa Bay. Like, Barber did so little with so much last season. <laughs> but let's say we knew we could pencil him into 250 touches again. Would you take him now, especially where he's going? Because I think I would. I don't know. I mean, it's so it's almost unthinkable that you have he was ninth in the league in carries and he finished 31st in PPR scoring. Like that is so hard to do. It's not even funny. And he had lots of opportunity in the red zone as well, and only five rushing touchdowns. The efficiency wasn't there at 3.7 per. I, I the way I've been looking at it is he is the ultimate just a guy. I I don't I don't think that fantasy championships are won with just a guy types. So I'd almost rather take the unknown. I mean, we really, I, I don't think we know anything about Jones yet. He showed us nothing last year, but it was only 23 rushing attempts. So I'd rather take the unknown, but even there, I'm not prioritizing him. If he's around in the ninth or 10th round and I still need to fill a running back spot, then I'll take a stab on him, but I, hopefully I'm already done drafting my running backs by that point. I've been prioritizing them a little bit earlier this year because the value at wide receiver falls so much. And then, of course, you can wait at quarterback like crazy, just like usual. So I'm looking at Peyton Barber right now, and this is probably more of a home league thing than an industry league thing, but he's going in like the 13th, 14th round. Like I, I would take him there. I would. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I, there's a value breaking point for every player. And, and that's certainly value, especially, as you said, if you said he's going to get 250 carriage, which I, I don't think he's going to. But if you said that, then then certainly that would be a great spot to take him. We have him projected currently at 167 carries and then Ronald Jones at 122. But Jones getting a little bit more work in the passing game. What do you have as a projection for Todd Gurley this year? And how worried should we be of not only like, do we worry about a split or do we just worry that he's hurt? I think we worry about that he's hurt more than a split because Daryl Henderson, here's the thing. Last year, if Todd Gurley was healthy through the playoffs, if Todd Gurley was healthy in the Super Bowl, we'll never know what that outcome will be. But you have to think that all of a sudden that changes the dynamic for that that uh, that game a little bit more because now Belichick has to account for Gurley. If you take Gurley out of the game, then McVay is going to go after you, you know, with, with the passing game, and then that's a, it's a completely different football game at that point. So we have to be concerned there. But the problem was ultimately last year they needed a guy to spell him a little bit. And Malcolm Brown did not show the ability to do so. And preseason darling John Kelly also wasn't able to do so. Take a little bit of work off his plate. Like Gurley shouldn't see 90% of the running back touches on his team. That number is just too high. It's unsustainable. And almost invariably, these guys are going to get hurt when they see that sort of, you know, touch share. So instead, you know, get him into the 70 range, something like that. It'd be a little bit better uh, for him overall. And that's where Daryl Henderson can come into play. Eight to 12 touches per game, explosive upside, not a bell cow guy, not built like a bell cow guy or anything like that. So I'm not worried about like a 50-50 split. That being said, I'm more worried about the injury if this is a, a real thing. I, I do think we do we see his touches go down though. I have him at 199 attempts, which with that, it's going to be tough for Gurley, even very efficient as he can be, to top a thousand rushing yards. And then uh, 45 catches, he had 59 last year, 
So we're taking, you know, uh, some volume certainly off the table for Todd Gurley. That being said, though, he could still be an RB1 in terms of productivity, even with that sort of volume, just given how efficient he has been, especially uh, from a touchdown production standpoint. I still think even with that, he could he could top double digit touchdowns provided the knees good. Yeah, 64 attempts inside the 20, 36 inside the 10, and 18 inside the 5 last season. So even if you take away some of this work you know, from their own 30-yard line, I wouldn't be too worried about that as long as the touchdowns can remain somewhat even. I mean, 21's tough to get to, but yeah. let's say you can get to 16, something like that, then he almost will most definitely be a running back one, right? Yeah, yep. we actually have him at 17, so 14 on the ground and three as a receiver, which both numbers would be down from last year, but uh, but still really good numbers overall. So I guess the other one to think about here, so I'm trying to figure out where to draft girl. And I, I've basically been asking anyone this. I'm waiting for someone to talk me into what I want to do, and I know it's a bad idea, but how high should I take Travis Kelsey? Hmm. <laughs> that is a great question. It's a topic that I've talked about a bunch recently. Is fifth too so- high? Fifth is I too think high, fifth right? Is yeah. too high. But I've also mentioned like fifth is the spot that I hate because top four, cool. Take one of the big four, you're good. Fifth, if you take a wide receiver in that spot, which I think the two safest picks on the board, you know, not including Travis Kelsey here, are Hopkins and Adams for me, just because of the ceiling floor combination. So if you took a wide receiver there, there's a good chance that you come around in the second round and all the, the rest of the top 11 running backs are off the board or top 10 if Melvin Gordon situation plays out as we might think. So now you have to take a wide receiver again. Now all of a sudden, our first running back is a lot further down the board because the position dries up. So if you're not a super skilled drafter like and you get yourself into a zero RB situation, a lot of folks learned a couple years ago that that can be really challenging. So the fifth spot is is so tricky because the running back, so many questions, the roster construction issues if you go wide receiver. I think it's too early for Travis Kelsey. But, you know, you asked me this question two months ago, and I would say it's crazy to take a, a tight end in round one. And now I think, honestly, the, the ultimate spot for him is either pick 10 or pick 11. Yeah. Uh, I do think it's the first round pick. I don't want to go any higher than that but I think that's a great spot to take him. I'm just trying to gauge what his relative value is just because of the position versus the other ones. Like I could see Kittle taking a step backwards. It it felt like that is the best season George Kittle might ever have. Could be wrong, but just kind of feels that way. And with Zach Ertz, you know, with Carson Wentz coming back full time, what if Carson Wentz gets hurt again? And now Nick Foles isn't there to come in. Now who is the backup right now in Philadelphia? Uh, well, I mean, the team has kind of been a little bit all over the place, but uh, Nate Sudfeld is is you know currently slotted in as that guy. Uh, they did have briefly from the AAF uh, Zach Sanchez on the team, but they they did um, they brought in Clayton Thorson, uh, the rookie as well. So it's between Sudfeld and. Thorson and obviously I don't think the the uh, young kid out of Northwestern is going to beat out Sudfeld at this point Um, so yeah that's a that's a downgrade on Nick Foles for sure so if that ends up being the situation I'm not saying that it is that could be a downgrade for Ertz and maybe not maybe Tariq Hill gets suspended for 10 games and I don't think that's going to be that long but maybe that just severely impacts Travis Kelsey and he's not as good for whatever reason I would think that even though the efficiency might go down a bit the volume would go up if Hill was going to be out for any substantial period of time I think it really creates a gap like you have Mahomes on tier one by himself at quarterback I think Kelsey's by himself on tier one at tight end too and just having that guy if you were to put him into the wide receiver pool and he'd be a top 10 wide receiver 
I would start to consider him after Hopkins and Adams. Like, I, I, I have Michael Thomas as my number three. What, do I like Thomas more? Yeah, I do, but is it worth it with the wide receiver versus tight end slot? That's the part that I'm trying to wrap my mind around. Well, we know, too, that just the, to get any consistency out of tight end is just extraordinarily challenging in today's football. Like, most tight ends, you are praying for a touchdown. Like, you know they're going to get three for 30, and it's whether or not they get in the end zone with that three for 30, it, 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 whether you're going to have a good fantasy week or a bad fantasy week. Not with Kelsey. I mean, this is a guy last year tops 100 catches. I think he could do it easily again this year. We haven't projected for 103 and another 1,300-yard season. Uh, 10 touchdowns is a ton for any player, so – you know, maybe it's nine, <laughs> you know, it's still amazing. I, I, I find it hard to disagree with you. I think that's a good way to view it. You have him right after that top two wide receivers. He's right in the mix. Now I have Julio at three, but Thomas at four and it's splitting hairs, honestly, for me, but he's right in the mix with those guys. And in terms of value of a replacement at the position, like when you consider who are you replacing, who are you getting off of waivers this year? Because you have like some of these guys, like the old heads, like Jimmy Graham, Greg Olson, like, are they going to get drafted? Aren't they going to get drafted? They'll probably be on waivers at some point during your season. Do you really feel confident with those guys? Do you feel confident with the rookies like Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson? Not really. Do you feel confident with somebody like Mark Andrews, who may or may not be on waivers, has upside, but it's also Lamar Jackson. I mean, the position is just absolutely brutal when it comes to the waiver wire each week. So just to have that stability, it, it's what has really pushed him up the board for me. You hit on zero RB a little bit and how it hasn't worked in the past few years. Is that because there was a shift towards zero RB? Because it felt like zero RB was so successful initially is because everyone was in the mindset, hey, we need to get a bell cow running back in the first round and possibly even in the second round. Like that's how fantasy drafts went forever until zero RB started working. Then everyone did zero RB. So therefore taking the running backs was actually the move. Now that everyone is going back to taking the running backs early, is zero RB a more viable play this year than it's been in the previous two years? The challenge is, and I agree, when, when everybody's doing something, it's no longer a strategy, it's status quo. Uh, and a lot of people, I think, went into it not fully understanding uh, the mechanics of, of zero RB, like how you need, where and when you need to attack running back. Now, last year, I talked about a modified zero RB where you would actually take a running back in the first round and then just hammer wide receiver straight on through and tight end for the next four rounds, then go back and absolutely hammer running back. I think that's still a viable strategy if you are confident in your drafting skills in the mid rounds at running back, which is challenging. And, and that's the other point here, why I don't know how viable this is for a lot of folks in today's football is that you know, so many running back committee situations exist that we no longer even say like, Pat, remember when people used to say the dreaded running back by committee? Like we don't even say that anymore because it's just normal. It's not dreaded. That creates a lot more challenges though in those middle rounds. Like you're not going to find an Arian Foster in his breakout year <laughs> in the middle rounds anymore, like a bell cow in the middle rounds. It's just so rare. So I don't know how viable it is this year if you're not a super skilled drafter, I think it might just be better to follow the crowd, set yourself at running back, set yourself up at running back, and then get that value at wide receiver in the you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. All right, final thing. Julian Edelman is going somewhere in like the third round, and here are four receivers going ahead of him currently in PPR formats. A.J. Green, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, and Amari Cooper. Could you be talked into that Julian Edelman is a better PPR player than those four? 
Eh, I don't know if I could. Okay. I, I, I like him where he's going. I don't have a huge issue with him being right with those guys. But when I look at it from a ceiling floor perspective, there's, you know, higher ceilings with, well, essentially all of those guys uh, for me. And then the, the big concern that I have about Edelman, if there's any knock, and right now Edelman is my number 15 player uh, in PPR at wide receiver. It's that he's 33 years old this year, uh, which is getting up there for a wide receiver, no doubt about it, coming off a really impressive season. But sometimes with these guys, it happens quickly. Like at the beginning of the show, you mentioned Jordy Nelson. Like how quick did that happen when Jordy Nelson, he went from an elite PPR guy to, oh my God, I can't even start Jordy Nelson. Like that happened within the span of a season and a half. And a lot of people had said, oh, well, it was Brett Hundley. Devontae Adams had double-digit touchdowns that season, so I don't know how much of it was Hundley and how much of it was Nelson already on the decline. So uh, that's the one thing. I'm not saying Edelman's going to decline this year, but I I think it's fair where he's going. I don't want to overvalue him. I also don't want to undervalue him. Okay, what's a better pick then? Amari Cooper at pick 29 or Julian Edelman at pick 42? Because I think I would lean Mm -hmm. Edelman there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, given that gap, yes. I do think uh, I, I agree with you there that that is a better pick. Or Adam Thielen at 24 or Edelman at 42. Like, that one seems exactly. like a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. And and when you compare where Diggs is going and you know to Adam Thielen right now, where he's going a whole round later, I, I like where Diggs is going more as well. Both of these guys were triple-digit catch guys last year on the same offense, which, by the way, just throwing this out there, Minnesota's offense is being undervalued. Oh, Kirk Cousins... For everybody who say, said that last year was a disappointment, the dude had another 4,000-yard passing season and a career high in touchdown passes, and everybody's disappointed. So he's one of the best values on the board. How can we view Kirk Cousins as number 20 quarterback, and yet both of his receivers are borderline wide receiver ones? Like, there's something in the equation that doesn't match up here. But, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, compared to Thielen, though, Edelman is the better value. All right, if we're talking about any running back right now going outside the top 10 at running back that is potentially a top five pick next year, who do you think in their range of outcomes that could be? Because I have it kind of narrowed down to Delvin Cook and Mm -hmm. actually Marlon Mack or Jacobs uh, as well. (laughs) Outside of of the top five or outside of the top 10, did you say? Let's say outside the top five. Okay, because Mixon has to be in that conversation too. I actually actually have Mixon at five right now in my ranking. So he's a top five guy for me already. Yeah. All right. So there you go. I'm, I'm all in on mixing with you as well. I, I, I agree 100% on Dalvin cook. We, we don't know Dalvin cook, you know, what, what to expect this year, but we do know, Hey, Kubiak came in. Uh, that's going to help the cause. There's like no competition for touches because Lat Murray's out of the mix and Alexander Madison's not going to do much there in terms of competing. So cook just needs to stay on the field uh, poised for a breakout. Uh, other than that, you mentioned Marlon Mack. I think the other guy that, you know, we just have to throw out there just because of the range of outcomes is Nick Chubb, because if Kareem Hunt doesn't do anything when he comes back, or if Nick Chubb just takes the league by storm over over the first eight games of the season for Cleveland and the genie's out of the bottle, I mean, we saw it already. I mean, the guy had a game where he had three carries and went over 100 yards, and he did it on a field that was a baseball field. I mean, I love watching that game against Oakland. He makes a cut on the stupid infield dirt (laughs) against the Raiders that is absolutely disgusting. 
So if he takes the league by storm, he could very well be in that category. But, the you know, obviously the risk reward there with him with Kareem Hunt. All right, Jeff Radcliffe, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Radcliffe. If you go to his Wikipedia page, it will say that he's a former NLL lacrosse, lacrosse player, which is something I did not know about you, sir. <laughs> yeah, the other Jeff Jeff Radcliffe. It's funny because Google got us mixed up. They put his info with my picture now. Yeah. So thanks, Google. Uh, I'm I'm a couple years older. I'm now from Canada, and yes, I was a first round pick in uh, Major League Lacrosse a few years back. Hey, well, you can just tell. I mean, when people start dogging you because you're a fantasy analyst, you be like, "Hey, I used to be a professional <laughs> athlete." Use Wikipedia. You can find out. <laughs> I will use that one. That's going to be the move. What's going on at PFF? Uh, why should I be subscribing outside of all of the normal reasons that I should be subscribing? Well, I mean, first and foremost, we are now officially PFF.com. So move over Pakistani Federation Football League. We now have that domain. So it's a little bit easier for, uh, for folks to find us. But we just dropped the 2019 Fantasy Playbook, which is my draft guide magazine. I write it cover to cover. You can download it with a PDF file and we'll update it multiple times here before the fantasy draft season is in full swing. That plus a lot of other goodies. The site is actually easy to use finally. Uh, so you'll see some cool stuff, including videos from yours truly right Ooh. on the site now. So it is well worth checking it out. All right. And the podcast, um, I, I did want to, I mean, I saw it's doing very well on the iTunes charts, the PFF fantasy show, but having fantasy, I feel like in the name of your podcast has really limited me. Just if I could go back and do it again, seven years ago and name my podcast, I would have fantasy in the name of it. I'm just telling you that right now. Very good for searchability. Yeah, it definitely helps. Uh, no doubt about it. But yeah, the PFF Fantasy podcast with me uh, is uh, you know well worth your your downloads. I appreciate the downloads. So podcast, radio, TV, magazine, pro football focus. I can't believe you had the time to come on, but I do want to thank you for spending an hour with me, dude. It's been nice to catch up. Uh, the pleasure was all mine, Pat. All right. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK bucks, rewind to the beginning of the show. And you can figure out how to do it. Smash the like button anyway, if you haven't already. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and the Instagrams at the PME. All my rankings are up on DKPlaybook.com. And hit the description for all of the previous fantasy football shows. Good luck in the 2019 preparation season for fantasy football. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Experience. Experience.